0: Our beer of the week this week is from Sycamore. It is called Rising Hope. It's a mango IPA. I think that's pretty fitting, right? With new head coach, new general manager, just whole new era. We got a little bit of hope going around and I think we should match that with what we're drinking.
1: Yeah, we're bringing in a guy from Tampa Bay, some more of that tropical area. So having a uh, Rising Hope beer that's mango flavored seems fitting. I'm not as high on Dave Canales, but we'll get a little bit more into that. I'm Stephen Patton, your host, joined by my co-host and dear friend Jacob LaChoir here on Perfect Takes, and we're we're just going to jump right into it. So after last week's podcast, I believe on Wednesday we hired Dave Canales to be the new head coach. Uh, that came the same day we actually interviewed Mike Vrabel for the second time, I believe. So uh, what what are your thoughts and feelings on it as as we kind of get into this hire? Well,
0: firstly. I, I'm a fan of the hire. I know you're not as big, but I like the hire. Number one, a younger offensive mind seems to be the trend for a lot of hires recently, and I can appreciate that over a retread like we have with Frank Reich last year, who was allegedly an offensive guy, but kind of his play calling, his schemes, his personnel usage uh, its just baffling and stuff like that, and what Canales has been able to do in Tampa Bay I'm a big fan of. And number two, it's, uh, it's kind of up in the air whether the credit for – Geno Smith's revival uh, was Canales is doing, but it's no question that Baker Mayfield's revival was largely in part to Dave Canales. And I think if he's able to do that for two, we'll say, I don't want to say lesser QBs, but they haven't panned out to be superstars in the league, then I'm sure he could uh, help the number one overall pick from last year's draft turn his uh, career, his young career around after kind of a bad rookie season. So I'm excited in that aspect for Dave Canales to be the head coach here.
1: Yeah, a uh, guy that's previously a wide receiver, uh, a former wide receiver, and then a wide receiver coach with Seattle uh, back in 2015 to 2017, kind of bounced around, kind of roles in that offense. He was a quality control coach, assistant quarterback coach, and then he was the quarterback coach uh, for Seattle. And it was interesting because when he was in Seattle underneath Pete Carroll, there were in essence two times where Canales got passed up for other offensive coordinators. Brian Schottenheimer the first go round and then Shane Waldron. And uh, I think both of those guys are very respected around the league. Uh, Brian Schottenheimer's work with the Cowboys uh, the past couple of years has uh, been pretty impressive along with the rest of his resume. Shane Waldron I've been super high on, uh, but this was a guy that when he got his first opportunity made the most of it. And uh, I, I ran an interesting survey Uh, Got a little under 100 votes, so very small sample size. You can't really take a lot from it. Uh, But it seemed like when we're parsing out credit for Geno Smith, Shane Waldron got about 48% of the credit. And then Dave Canales, I think, was just shy of like 30%. And then Pete Carroll had about 20%. And I think that's a fair breakdown. Um, The the OC, the play caller, should get a lot more uh, credibility. Uh, For some of the success and I think that's why he gets a lot of success for turning Baker's career in Tampa around so we'll see if that's the case with Bryce young. Um, My concern is is with a lot of his play calling he's very much like Bobby slowick where there's like a lot of run run pass in the offense which isn't necessarily the bad thing when you have a young quarterback but it can limit your explosiveness. It can limit your success rate as a offense as a whole. And that's one thing that the Bucks were really bad at this past year was running the ball. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see if that translates to Carolina.
0: Well, I think the Bucks have been bad at running the ball like what the last like four or five years ever since they came off that Super Bowl berth, with uh, even going back to Leonard Fournette who just wasn't the same after that Super Bowl. And then Rashad White isn't the best kind of like ground and pound runner per se. He's good at catching out of the backfield, but I wouldn't put him between the tackles like uh 20, 20 to twenty five carries a game. What I like about his play calling and his like kind of command of the offense in Tampa Bay, however, is that he I remember it was an interview he said like uh they used to checks or they would used to have checks through the headset and stuff before going up going up to the line, but Baker Baker noted to him in a meeting that Baker liked to make the checks himself like go look like have Baker step up, look around, see who's blitzing, see the defense and stuff like that. And that helped Baker pre-snap because he alluded to him enjoying the chaos and thriving on it. And when they made that change, it really helped Baker out like uh, weeks, like eight through, I want to say 14. Those are probably his best weeks, you know, down the stretch. Um, So I like his ability to adapt to what his players can do and to note back in Seattle, this comes from Gino Smith, who I believe it was Joe Person, who had a little mini interview with him. Gino said that uh, Canales is an excellent communicator, one of the best he's ever been around, and truly enjoys listening to each and every player to get the most out of them and build connections with them. And to me, that's one of the most important things in a head coach. Like We know that Canales was a good play caller this past year, right? We know that he's worked with all these different positions, but if you, what you need to be is a leader of men and you need to be able to communicate to an entire group, not just the wide receivers, not just the QB, not just the offense as a whole. But his uh, the reputation from past players like Geno and Baker who are speaking to that saying he can communicate is a big plus for me because when you see kind of the Panthers' confidential of Frank Reich, he doesn't really have any juice in those meetings, right? I remember there was one, it was, uh, it was like the first meeting of training camp i believe or maybe it was otas or he was trying to talk to the people and he's like i want to find a way to relate to you guys so uh i saw this thing it was like keep it 100 is, is that how i say it and like uh the guys are kind of like ah, yeah but it's like frank reich didn't have any juice to him or anything but anytime you watch dave canalis pressers he brings the energy he brings it as a communicator even to the media it seems like he enjoys talking to him so that's one of the aspects i also like about uh canales being the head coach
1: yeah i think he's an a-plus communicator my concern again goes back to how he has designed some of the offenses and going kind of going back to baker uh when we played him in week 18 for in essence like playing upset and and would have stopped them from getting to the playoffs we we didn't have necessarily the best run defense our defense was more known for stopping the pass I mean you can go and look at the game against Kirk Cousins and a few of the other notable like matchups that we had throughout the year and keeping some high octane offenses very limited through the air uh Dallas even at home Dak Mm -hmm. did not have a big game and seeing that what the game plan was going in the week 18 was spread the offense out. And the week before, Baker Mayfield took a massive rib shot. I mean, this guy was still trying to recover, get back to 100%. And I just, I thought the game plan was a little bit baffling. I, I thought that they should have leaned more into those kind of run, run, pass uh, sets that kind of they were known for throughout the year. So that that was a little perplexing. I hope it's we take opportunities against the matchups that we have. And we don't try to galaxy brain stuff. I think that's that's one of the things that has hurt us in the past. I think Frank Reich last year. Uh, coming from Indy, was known to use 12 personnel. And if he had had used more 12 personnel uh, with some of the motion concepts that Thomas Brown was bringing over from L.A., I think our offense would have done better. Now, would it ha- have been great? I don't think so. Uh, there, there, there was a lot missing on that side. We had a lot of interior offensive line injuries. But it's one of those things that I don't think we play to our strengths. Uh, we just tried to do something that was popular in the NFL at the time. And that's, that's my concern with Canalis is that we've already heard the input that the Teppers have on this organization. And I really hope him and Dan Morgan are able to kind of tune that out and just stick to their process. Because we are really buying into the familiarity these two have and that they're going to be a good pairing for years to come. And my hope as a Panthers fan is I'm absolutely wrong about this. My issue is that there's a potential group think problem that might be surfacing as we move into 2024
0: well to bring up dan morgan because uh unless you have any finishing touches on dave Canales, yeah, no go
1: for it let's jump in the dam
0: um we we had already talked about dan morgan uh last week because i believe we hired him the monday before we recorded um So we've we've glossed over what he's done. He was director of player personnel, Seattle Buffalo, assistant general manager here. But I think the connection that he had with Canales in Seattle, I think it's going to work in the opposite way of kind of how you're alluding to Tepper's influence being there. I think the fact that he gave Canales a longer deal and I think Dan Morgan's deal was four years, but it's the two guys that are familiar with each other and with the news of uh, the Panthers' like alleged, not allegedly, but they've gotten the deal done with uh, a Kansas City exec. They just can't hire him yet, obviously, because Kansas City is heading to the Super Bowl. I think uh, with all of this, it, it seems to me like, all right, Tepper might be taking a step back and letting these two guys kind of build their own vision for the team. And yeah. it, it goes back to uh, the sports firm that or the uh, hiring firm, rather, that Tepper uh, requested to use during the search. This same firm was used back in 2017 for the San Francisco 49ers. And what they did is very similar to what we did. Uh, John Lynch, general manager, uh, Kyle Shanahan, obviously play caller. And they had multiple different uh, front office guys that were kind of the buffer between the brain trust and the owner. They had uh, Adam Peters, who's now the general manager in Washington. They had a couple of other people. I remember reading an article about, I can't recall their names, but I think with the the hopeful hire of Brent Tillis from the chiefs to be that buffer between uh, Canales and Morgan and David Tepper. I kind of like that kind of, or I like that kind of idea where Tepper's seeing that maybe he's being too involved and uh, he should let these guys take some time and build the roster because the thing with, uh, with Matt rule right is that it was going to be a seven year project, but it wasn't really going anywhere. Now we did have, I don't want to say like a great roster. But we had players on our roster during that time. It's just, I don't think do. Rule knew how to maximize them. And so when Rule gets scrapped and uh, mid-season, uh, mind you, when Rule gets scrapped and Steve Wilkes makes the most out of those players and ultimately Steve Wilkes isn't hired. By the way, he's in the Super Bowl i um, just wanted to throw that out there. But his, uh, his
1: quote that earlier this week was so fitting, but yeah, no, it is. It's definitely truly fitting that him and Christian McCaffrey leave and they're in the Super and, Bowl and Sam nothing... Darnold and Sam. Yes, Darnold. that is true. Uh, I saw a good SpongeBob meme on that one, but yeah, no, that's uh, very <laughs> yeah. very fitting. Uh, but yeah, like you said, rule rule did a awful job, but I feel right. like optimizing the players on the roster, and, like you were saying
0: and then following rule and uh subsequently steve wilkes we brought in frank reich and it was tepper who remember it was tepper that said we need a uh, a wealth of knowledge we'll say like all these different voices in the room and that's what happened he uh he told frank reich to go out and hire the best and brightest and he did we brought in a ton of different people brought in uh josh mccown deuce staley thomas brown um Frank Reich himself and just a a bevy of different people who had never worked together on the offensive side of the ball, which uh, I believe was a detriment to Bryce Young because there were too many voices in his ear, but that was also a Tepper thing like bringing all those people in. Now we see Dave Canales bringing in his own guys. Uh, Brad Idzik, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, is uh, expected to be hired to be the offensive coordinator. He was with Canales in Seattle for three years and, or, four years rather. And then he was the wide receiver coach in Tampa Bay last year. So Canales has his own guy there. I, I, I just like where it's going, where we have a process where the head coach is bringing in guys that he trusts. He might retain guys like Jiro Evero if he's not hired elsewhere, because he knows that that's a good, like he did an excellent uh, job on the defense side of the ball. And they're keeping veteran voices. there like Jim Caldwell, while getting rid of some of the people like, uh, Chris Tabor and James Campen, who were there in the, uh, Matt rule era, who've just been holdovers forever, but all, yeah. all the suffice to say that I think the hiring of Canalis and Morgan paired with Brant Tillis, who we'll talk about here in a second is a good structure for the franchise moving forward.
1: It is Brant Tillis. I love that. We're getting back to him. Uh, you have written here. He is an economics guy. He's <laughs> when you'll see some of the South welder posts of kind of the hired analytics folk uh, across all 32 franchises he is on that list uh despite being kind of more in a front office uh VP role i believe was kind of he was what vice president of operations or is in yeah. Kansas City and so i think what he's going to bring exactly like you said he he offers that buffer um but he's also i think going to help us with the mindset of let's stick to the board Because there is a a I think, a big mistake that happens when teams reach for players. And I think having a guy that's familiar with some of that, uh, that understands how to build a championship roster, I mean, if you look at that 2022 draft that the Chiefs have, that has been a huge proponent for not only last year's Super Bowl run, but this year's Super Bowl run. I mean, you got guys like George Karloftis and Trent McDuffie who are making plays on the defensive side when it matters. Uh, and you were able to kind of pick the guys that you wanted to retain. In this case, they kept Chris Jones on that side. They have Lajarius Sneed, who they've been able to develop. And it's just that's become a fearsome dominant force. And to bring in a presence like that, who can make sure that we're adding those kind of guys to the roster through the draft. Because like that was the issue when we had Marty Herney in the building. He would hit home runs in the first round. Um, but he, he signed awful contracts, couldn't fill out the roster in the rest of the draft. And then we had a Dave Gettleman who couldn't draft to save his life, but did do some good stuff contractually. And that's what I hope Brant Tillis brings the best of both worlds, that we're not only going to be able to draft the right people. We're also not going to strap ourselves from a cap standpoint.
0: Right. So we have Dan Morgan, who is a a full-on football guy, right? Played in the league, first-round pick from the Panthers. Mm -hmm. I'll I'll say it again, the most tackles ever in a single Super Bowl. Um, Even if uh, you dispute the number, it's still the most. And he's just been around the league in a more of a scouting player personnel role in his time in front offices. And now you bring in Brent Tillis, who, like I did right down here, is an econ guy like you. Uh, he, his, uh, his credit, like a I guess is the word is more of being a salary cap wizard and stuff like that. He's the main guy that worked the Patrick Mahomes mega deal, which is nothing we've ever seen before. And, uh, in the NFL, it's more like a baseball contract. And he also got the Joe Thune contract done, got the Chris Jones, uh, one-year deal done this year, but he's also been reported to assist with scouting. Like you said, uh, make sure that we stick to the board, bring kind of the analytical mindset of uh, like in scouting, like don't jump or don't look at a guy just because he has a high uh, RAS relative athletic score, like uh, stick to the tape, stick to the guys on your board and draft those guys. And and like you said, you've seen what they've been able to do, not just in 2022, but going back to, uh, I'm thinking about the year where they drafted uh, Creed Humphrey, Mm -hmm. uh, Trey Smith in the sixth round, who we took a long snapper right before. Um, trading for Orlando Brown, Jr., who was a big piece of that uh, the early Chiefs run that they had there. So it, like the, all this to say that the the work that the Chiefs front office has done post drafting Mahomes because that was a different general manager. But this entire work that they've done to keep the team how it is, even trading Tyreek Hill away to uh, be able to afford some of the players that they have. It's been excellent. And to be able to grab one of the main guys from that and bring him to a similar role here i think is an absolute steal
1: it is and i like i said i think he he is an excellent presence to have in the room if the the goal is with this year's coaching staff to keep continuity keep familiarity keep everybody on the same page this is a guy that's going to keep you on track with that and I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to see kind of what they do in the draft this year. Um, I, I've heard rumors on Panthers Twitter that a wide receiver we could target is uh, Leggett out of uh, University of South Carolina. But the issue is, is I think he's going to be exactly like, and you've coined this term, we'll talk about this more when we talk about wide receivers in the draft, that he's going to be this year's kind of Roz warrior. And that was kind of what Mingo was last year. And so it's like, we already have that big physical wide receiver. How about we actually go get a guy that's produced at the college level, uh, who's got other phenomenal traits that can add a a additional layer of speed on the perimeter? Um, Because I think Dave Canales is going to work with Mingo like he has with a DK Metcalf or um, with Mike Evans this past year, and he's going to get the most out of them that he can. And I, I don't know what that's going to look like. Mingo had one of the worst rookie wide receiver seasons we've seen in a while, um, but it's one of those things that I think the reason he got hired is because he said, Hey, I can work with what we have here and we can add so much more. And I think that was one of the main selling points.
0: Yeah, I uh, I agree with you there. I think that uh, a lot of the Leggett fans or Leggett, however you say it, uh, it might be homers because we are the Carolina Panthers and he is a University of South Carolina player. Uh, we see that a lot with Clemson prospects. Not every Clemson player is draftable. People, it's just uh, they were a good. They used to be a good team, not anymore. But you, you bring up a good point with the receivers, where Canales had a receiver background, and the new offensive coordinator does as well. I think he was the. The report is he's expected to be hired today i think is how they worded it brad idzik like we talked about he's been a wide receiver coach and he had one stent or one year stint as a qb coach in seattle but he's been a wide receiver or an assistant wide receiver coach the last five years and so i think he's going to bring a good uh depth of knowledge to that position as well because like you said we need all the help
1: and coaching we can get there we can or not we can we do and what he brings is going to be absolutely phenomenal uh, we did, I think, allow Sean Jefferson to leave in free agency. We were blocking mm-hmm. him for a while. Um, but with just kind of this new wave of thinking, there's ideology shifts. And so I think we've interviewed Nate Carroll, uh, who's son of Pete Carroll, Um, I don't know if he would be more of an assistant, um, or if he would have kind of like a position coach. Uh, we've also, I believe interviewed, or at least we're in contact with Tracy Smith, who is a special teams assistant in Seattle. Uh, he would kind of take Chris Tabor's role if he was hired here. So again, a lot of continuity, a lot of familiar names, and you hope that works because like we see it with a guy like Sean McVay in LA, he's brought in different pieces uh, of guys that he's worked with and they've turned into superstars and then coaches from then on out. So that would be my hope here is that Dave Canales is bringing in guys that believe in what he's preaching and they're able to all stay on the same page because that's, that's really the big selling point. Like I said earlier in it, it does kind of leave a, a shadow of doubt in terms of, is this a groupthink situation where if you think your way is the right way and you meet a brick wall. How are you gonna get around that obstacle? And so that that's what's gonna be intriguing to me because I believe our roster is not as good as the Bucks was this past year and it wasn't as good as Seattle's the past couple of years. So uh, if they can get the most out of what we have, kind of like what Wilkes did a couple of years ago, that's, that's what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for uh, us to win the NFC South, but I do want us to see five, win five, six, seven games and be competitive. That was the one thing Cam's rookie year with Ron Rivera and that coaching staff that had Shudzinski and Sean McDermott, we were competitive. Uh, we didn't necessarily win. Um, but we were in games, and that's what mattered.
0: Yeah, uh, I think five wins would be like an absolute win for us next year if we're competitive in most of our games. You talked about Nate Carroll. If we can bring him here, man, imagine being like, "Hey, Pete, I know your your son's here now. You want to be uh, you want to be an advisor or have an exec role or something like that?" in your your golden years here. But uh, I, no, that'd be that'd be pretty cool. But uh, you talk about how. How do we avoid groupthink and stuff like that? And I think the way to avoid that is having some people from the previous staff retained. It's been announced that Jim Caldwell is expected to be retained. So that's one part uh, one part there. Um, he, he really uh, was more of an overseer role, like an advisory role. And then when we made that shift midseason, worked with Bryce young a little bit. And I think Bryce is better for it because Caldwell worked with some of the best QBs that we've ever seen in Stafford and Manning, but, uh, or Stafford and uh, Luck, rather, excuse me. But um, I think uh, keeping a guy like that, and then if we're able to keep Evro and his staff on the defensive side of the ball, because there, if Evro stays, there's no reason to change his staff at all. You know, um, I think that's the way you avoid all locking in on one thing, having groupthink, having mob mentality, and a negative, like the negative way of it. I think that's the way that you stop it.
1: Yeah, no, I think Evero and his retention is going to be a critical aspect of that. Um, I think him and Canales, that's that's a true clash right there. Um, I would, and I, and I hate bringing up McVay because Canales says yet to prove himself. But it, where we saw McVay and Staley kind of going at it, kind of after some of those wrinkles that McVay had thrown at him going into that 2018 Super Bowl run, That's that's what I'm hoping here is that there there are kinks that are worked out, that those kind of minds are able to go, okay. so when I do this, what are you going to do in response and vice versa? I'm also hoping that this year that the guys that we have on our roster stay healthy, because if we have Mm -hmm. YGM, Derek Brown, Brian Burns healthy on that that D line, we have our back end stay healthy and not completely depleted. I I think it, it would allow us to address linebacker and free agency late round draft picks. Uh, maybe grab a corner that we like, uh, because I think really our draft does need to focus on the offensive side. That was something that we saw a really, really bad unit walk out last year, and we need to correct that, especially with hiring a second and second all-time in Panthers history offensive coach at the position, especially when we passed up a guy like Mike McDonald, who I think is a phenomenal play caller and would have gotten the most out of that defense at the very least.
0: Yeah, talking about staying healthy, the O-line, I think, is the – the ultimate sticking point there in terms of health. I think that's what needs to be addressed probably the most, not e- like more than wide receiver, as far as I'm concerned, because the interior of that O-line was just destroyed this season. I know Iggy and Taylor Moten stayed healthy for the most part, but Moten's kind of getting up there in age now too. So we just need, uh, we just need the O-line to be healthy and we need to address the depth there. And uh, that's something that the previous regime was unable to do it pretty much every position, but uh, hopefully the new regime going forward is able to do so. And the last point I wanted to touch on before we go off the coaching hires, unless you are the coaching stuff, unless you have anything else, was Greg Olson is being replaced next season in the booth by Tom Brady. Remember, <laughs> Brady uh, signed the deal with, uh, I think it's Fox, right? That Greg Olson's He did. With. Yeah, so he's going to be the number the deal. One. He, uh, he re- retired, or quote, retired. Then he unretired. So uh, Greg Olson took his spot there. But now he retired again. And so Greg Olson's uh, contract with Fox, I believe, is up. And there was a t- quote out there by, I believe it was Joe, Joe Person from The Athletic. He said, Greg Olson is pursuing all opportunities. What about a, a coaching role or a role in the front office, Greg Olson? Panthers legend. And you got to keep in mind. He was He's with the connections for a year
1: in Seattle, yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Th- there yeah, are those connections there. Uh, he spoke very highly of Dan Morgan when he was on... Um, Oh, I'm, I'm blanking out on the uh, famous punter's name. That's got a whole podcast. Pat, Ma- Pat McAfee. There we go. Pat McAfee. Spoke highly of him when he was on McAfee's show. Um, so I I wouldn't be opposed to him coming in. Cam Newton has talked about being team president, and that's still a role that's available, and that keeps you from a PR side, I think, in great standings. And and Cam's well-loved in this community. Uh, he may be kind of more polarizing character around the NFL, but in terms of the Carolinas, he, he truly is – almost like a superhero, Superman-type figure. So you bring those guys back together in either a front office role, uh, Greg Olson maybe in a coaching role. Definitely opportunities that are there. I will be interested, and this is more me rooting for Greg Olson because he is so great in the booth. Uh, The CFNBC or the ESPN in terms of their Monday night crew tries to pick him up. I mean, this is this is one of the best commentators right now in the game. I mean, he from like an analytics standpoint, which is kind of where I hail from my background and, and love of this sport. He defended kind of the going for it on fourth down that Dan Campbell was doing against the 49ers, which we're about to get into that game here in a sec. Um, but like, that's one of the things that, that there are very few people like him that are able to communicate and communicate as well as he does while like educating the the audience because that's something that you don't see a lot of announcers do they just uh, kind of go by the sea of their pants or they're like romo and they're a ah, e um I, I don't know jim like that kind <laughs> of like where know, it's just jim. <laughs> and and or, yeah. or, or this guy from chris collins work uh like it's those kind of he he avoids a lot of those and i'm sure if he stays in broadcasting he'll he'll develop some of those where it's like he has his isms um but just a phenomenal guy top to bottom and if it's coaching he wants to get into if he wants to stay in broadcasting he's going to do a great job no matter what
0: for sure and you brought up the niners game so we need to get into our games now that we had only two of them and since they were the only two games we should probably talk about both of them it was just like the craziest choke job by the lions uh and recent memory in the playoffs it's just they had a what could have been a three score lead. Obviously, uh, they went for it on the fourth down, didn't get it. But I don't think, like you're saying, the fourth down decisions were necessarily wrong because you have a kicker who is not a good kicker outside and from, I think it was, what, 48 yards or more. He's like nine for 20 in his career. So not a good kicker from distance. And the fourth down plays were there. It reminds me of the uh, – it was one of the games uh, this year that we had. I think it was against the Saints where – it was fourth down play calls that were there. It was like Raheem Blackshear fell down on it. And even though it hit him, he didn't catch it. It was Chark was open, or he wasn't open, but Bryce delivered it to him perfectly on like a fourth and two. It was like a 20-yard bomb, delivered it to him perfectly and just dropped it. Like the plays were there, the players just didn't make them. And so it makes the the fourth down decisions look bad. But I I don't know. I, I think it was the right call, especially if you don't trust your kicker.
1: Yeah, it's one of those things that people are thinking a 48 yard field goal is going to be like automatic. And I I think that's unfair. Uh, This is this is one of those situations where these models take into account the probabilities of uh, kind of conversion, uh, or expectation of what's going to happen if you go for the field goal, if you go for it on the fourth down. And up to that point, in those those decisions, the lions were converting on those shorter distances and like you said they drew up plays to where they could convert and there was a third and ten josh reynolds after the fourth and three drop dropped a beautiful crossing route that would have been a conversion on a third and ten and so it's you had drive killers from the players not executing not the the play calling or the decisions made and the gibbs fumble that hurts you 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 have the lead cut down to a one possession game boom right out of the gate Gibbs fumbles and I'm not saying Gibbs is a bad player, but it's one of those instances that rookie mistakes happen, and the 49ers were able to capitalize on that. And I know a lot of people are are talking about the whole, was it defense uh, defensive pass interference on that Brandon Ayuk crazy catch? Uh, there was clearly a flag thrown that was picked up, and it wasn't a decline penalty. It was just a picked up penalty after Ayuk caught it. So it makes you wonder if it's either not caught or if it is intercepted. If it's a PI call and it's already put inside the ten there, um, but again, this is all speculation on that. Like you said, uh, the, the Lions kind of choke this away, and it's it's fitting that uh, Eminem is a, a, a big Lions fan, being from Detroit, and uh, his big "Lose Yourself" song. He he has a, a whole uh, a line about choking and everybody joking <laughs> now. Um, so it, it just just wanted to throw that in there, being a big Eminem fan and. I think what's cool and we'll we'll get into this a little bit more with coach talk and openings uh, that teams have filled but Ben Johnson's going to be returning and a lot of people thought the Lions mm-hmm. would take a step back because he was leaving and he's not leaving it'll be interesting to see the extensions that are going to be handed out to golf potentially uh, are they a team that potentially I know they kind of passed up on moving up for like an Anthony Richardson, but is this a sneaky team that can move up and try to get a a Jaden Daniels maybe takes a Penix somebody to where you, you have some protection either if golf gets injured. Or if you don't feel comfortable signing him to the deal that he's looking to be signed to. So I'll I'll be intrigued to see that in terms of that aspect. Um, The 49ers, I I don't know how much you want to talk on them. I, I think Purdy at this point has been shown to be a game manager. He had some great scrambles, he had some good throws outside of the pocket but this isn't a guy that's winning you games. This was a, a team effort to come back in the second half. So I, I really don't understand everybody going Purdy's him coming back from the 17 point deficit. Like when we talked about players not executing on the other side, when there were opportunities for the Lions to close the door.
0: Uh, certainly the lions players didn't execute in that second half, but I thought Purdy played excellent uh, for what it's worth in that second half. Aside from the, uh, the i'll call it like the luckiest play of the season the whole iu 50 yard bomb i guess it might have been opi i don't know what was happening there but i think you're right they clearly picked up the flag because like an interception didn't happen i think that's like just how refs work you know it's like in the nba when they wait to see if you make the basket before calling (laughs) absolutely ridiculous but I thought Purdy was pretty excellent. Uh, all the scrambles that you talked about, that's something we never saw with Jimmy Garoppolo um, yep. when he was the man here. Uh, just getting out of the way, scrambling for first downs. Then the one play where uh, he avoided the sack, rolled out, and uh, hit I think it was Juszczyk who did a uh, little fall yeah. out of bounds uh, catch. It's just plays like that where it's like he doesn't, he doesn't do this every single player, right? He has the best supporting cast in the league, but... He did it when he needed to uh, in the second half of this game. And I thought this was probably the best stretch, uh, that half that I'm talking about, of football that I've seen from Brock Purdy as a pro. I I just thought he played uh, within the system well, and when the system didn't work, he made the plays that needed to be made. And I think that's what they were looking for when they drafted Trey Lance, to be quite frank. Um, Obviously, that didn't work out, but they were looking for the guy who could do that when they knew Garoppolo couldn't. And I think uh, just that extra oomph, I guess, that Purdy brings is enough for them to be better than they were with Garoppolo. Now, granted, Garoppolo didn't make it to a Super Bowl against the Chiefs, kind of like how we see this year. But uh, we'll, we'll see how that all works out. But I bash on Brock Purdy a lot. I just thought uh, I needed to give him his flowers for that second half because I thought he played really well.
1: Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not trying to take anything away from him. I'm just, I'm tired of hearing that he's like a top five quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, Um, and and when we've seen the performances he's had against the Packers and the Lions D, which are susceptible defenses, these are not just these, these stout defenses that are able to just shut an offense down. And the, the plays where you're talking about Kyle Juszczyk, we were watching Mahomes and Lamar for the first half of their game go back and forth with kind of some of the pocket manipulation and getting out and delivering a throw. And so why, why it's exceptional to see those plays, those are still plays we're seeing across the NFL. And that's, that's more just the point I wanted to make. Um, I think he's an above-average starter. Uh, his 10-yard split is phenomenal. It's what allows him to scramble. And uh, going into uh, game plans, because this is, I think, a good segue into that Chiefs-Ravens game, Kyle Shanahan did not abandon the run in the second half. They came out. They still stuck to their game plan. Todd Munkin, on the other hand, a team that led the league in rush attempts all year against a Chiefs defense that was really, I, I wouldn't say daring Lamar to throw they they weren't the best on run defense all year and this was a team that i i think would have had an advantage had they said we're just going to power run game we're going to throw a lot more 12 personnel at you with andrews being back and you're not going to be able to defend and get in the right personnel package to stop both andrews and isaiah likely i think they called 12 personnel on like 10 percent of their plays on sunday and if they had done it at a 20, 30% clip, I think it would have opened up more running lanes. It would have opened up stuff in the passing game more. And, and this is where I think it falls on the shoulder that Todd Munkin abandoned the identity of this team. He he abandoned kind of the strengths that they had. And like I said earlier about Canales and, and Reich and what I'm worried about with some of that stuff is that Monken galaxy brain this he he tried to do stuff that didn't work for this offense for his star quarterback that's probably going to win his second MVP coming up here in February and that's a shame because it would have really been cool to see another Ravens 49ers rematch uh, to see Kyle Shanahan go against Mike McDonald uh, to see Todd Monken and Steve Wilkes kind of face off and see kind of these, these two star teams play and, and that's nothing against the Chiefs that's nothing against Mahomes It's more just that seemed to be the matchup that was kind of coming after that Christmas Day showdown.
0: Uh, Yeah, for sure. Um, We can talk about Zay Flowers' antics and uh, all that. We can talk about Lamar's interception. But to me, Todd Munkin lost them this game. Uh, Like you said, this was one of the best running teams in the NFL this season. I believe outside of QB scrambles, I think I saw they had 14 runs the whole game.
1: Yeah. And like you said, one of the, lowest the Chiefs all year.
0: The Chiefs run defense, uh, their D line is a pretty good pass rushing unit, but they're already not a great run D unit. And then Charles Amenahu gets lost, I believe, in the third quarter. Um why aren't to an you? The ball? Like, yeah, yeah, no, just... uh, and he he is missing the Super Bowl, so uh well wishes to Charles Amenahu there, but why aren't you running the ball? Especially when Mike McDonald's unit takes care of business in the second half. <sighs> They they were lights out on the Chiefs oh in that second gosh. half. And so like you have the all the opportunity in the world on offense for the the Ravens. Like the big plays were there too. Like we saw the Zay Flowers, saw Brent or not Brent, um Nelson Aguilar oh, no, that, early in the game oh, yeah. uh dropped yeah, those, Nelson, the big Iowa. one. So like there were opportunities there in the past game, but like when you ran the ball was effective. So I'm not quite sure where the mindset's coming from. I guess like the galaxy brain thing like you're talking about. I guess he just overthought it, but I don't know. But then even in the past game, like like the Zay Flowers reaching across the goal line. By the way, shout out Matt Rule for tweeting, uh, this is why I don't teach reaching across the goal line, kind of <laughs> taking a, a dig at Teddy Bridgewater there in that uh Green Bay Packers game. Oh, and he's right, boy. you know, like he's right in this instance. Zay Flowers did not need to do that. He would have nope. gotten the first down on the one inch line or wherever he would have landed. It's just, you don't need it the same thing with dj chark uh in week 18 but like you don't need to do that i know that you're a rookie and you want the the shine because he had the first touchdown right um correct yep. me if i'm wrong so and like, he, had yeah, he, yeah, had a, he had over 100 yards yeah he had a good game and everything but like don't do that and then the big catch that led up to that i don't like i think if he just went with his first juke move he probably scores instead of uh going for like the three or four that he had but Rookie mistakes, like we said, with uh, Jameer Gibbs, who also had a great game before that um, with the the crazy touchdown run he had. And then Lamar Jackson, um, ever since he's been in the playoffs, there's kind of been questions about him, you know, like, Mm -hmm. uh, can he win in the playoffs, this or that? Because he hasn't had the best performances. I thought uh, outside of the obviously the bad throw into triple coverage, which should have been intercepted and it was and there's people call- crying about pass interference pass interference it should have been a legal
1: contact it should but, have been a five-yard penalty automatic first I understand that's not the right read um but, but yeah, it's like that play I and then there was another one where likely was tackled on like a little uh, yeah out that, route, that one was and there's dead. no flag yeah. and that's but that's what I'm saying it's like I understand like hey we want to let guys play on but if you're a corner and I'm saying this from a chief standpoint and you realize there is triple coverage on likely get your hands off him because like, honest to goodness, I think that's a call. Like, it's not pass interference. It shouldn't be put on the one-yard line. But that's illegal contact right there. And and this is, again, this is bailing out Lamar. That should have been the read. He had Odell Beckham coming Mm -hmm. wide open across the middle. He did not need to force that play, just like Zay Flowers didn't need to reach across the goal line. It it seemed like from the play-calling standpoint, they didn't play to their strengths. But then the players, the moment was too big for them. You could sense that Lamar felt like his legacy was on the line and he wasn't playing to his game. And that's, that's a shame because, yes, it did look like it was going to be a shootout in the first half. Mike McDonald made some great corrections in the second half and completely shut them out outside of that great MBS kind of connection with Mahomes at the end of the game, the it. And which, it's, just, it's a shame. Which Mahomes underthrew, by the way. Uh, he did. MBS but had he, to come back he through, but beat yeah. him. Yeah, he no, beat no, him so bad agree, it yeah. didn't really matter there.
0: Yeah, uh, we talk about the, uh, the Ravens players kind of peeing down their legs. I think this was a Spagnolo masterclass. We talked about Mike McDonald, but Spags needs his flowers as well. I thought that defense played pretty well throughout the entire game, even in the first half where the uh, the Ravens did move the ball a little bit. I think Lamar had four or five, or no, I think it was three or four batted passes, one to himself, which was phenomenal play,
1: by the way. I know if he beat twenty three who tackled him, he had all the open space in the world. Like that could have been a touchdown type play. So yeah, that was that was a crazy play.
0: Yeah, Chiefs fans were getting flashback to uh, Mariota, who did that in the playoffs against him, but uh, that was phenomenal. But yeah, I think Spags had an excellent game plan uh, for the Chiefs defense, which worked out well. They generated a ton of pressure from the D-line alone. Um, and yeah, I, I think this was a good, coaching ma- or a good coaching match between the two defensive coordinators. I know they don't play each other, but they played... Or they called phenomenal games. And then it just comes down to Mahomes, right? I know they didn't score a ton in this game, but he made the plays that needed to be played. And when you look at his playoff uh, splits, I guess, because he's played 17 postseason games now, that's like uh, if you took those 17 games and put them in a regular season, that's like MVP caliber numbers. Yep. And. These are Fourteen against, and
1: three is insane. I mean, you're playing the best of the best. In the the, yeah, like it's, these aren't scrubs. The teams
0: that are supposed to be the best in the league every single year. And he's only ever had like two, like what, actually one and a half bad playoff games, and it was against the Bucks and then the second half against the Bengals. So it's it's hard to stop Mahomes in the playoffs. Uh, what is it? Six he straight Championship? He hasn't
1: lost if you take away that Bucks Super Bowl loss. Uh, Like, within the AFC conference, he has only lost in overtime because the Bengals and the um, uh, Patriots game, both of those were an OT. Like, it's insane that you can't beat this guy in regulation. And one of those games, he didn't even get the ball. No. Yeah. So it's did, like, with Tom Brady. Yeah. That game yeah. was insane. Like, and that, that's part of the reason, uh, that game along with the Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, that Epic showdown, the first go round, why the overtime rules have changed is because mm-hmm. if you have these two guys that are going literally dart for dart, shot for shot, like let them play because that's what the NFL wants to see because it, it's that drives view- viewership and and viewership equals dollars for the NFL. So, Um, it it was unfortunate. Uh, The Ravens team looks like outside of Mike McDonald is going to retain kind of this coaching staff, um, this team for the most part. And, And you hope being one of the better teams in the AFC, as long as Lamar Jackson stays healthy, that they take a next step because it looks like they found their number one wide receiver in Zay Flowers. It looks like they have stars with Andrews and likely at tight end. They, they can run a lot of cool concepts. And I feel like with another year in Todd Monk system, they can grow and, and take another step. Now, will that step be enough to get them to the Super Bowl? I don't know, especially if McDonald leaves, who's been a mastermind. I mean, what he's done in terms of design and play calling on the defense uh, has has been nothing short of, of phenomenal.
0: Uh, yeah, for sure. You talk about the possibility Of Mike McDonald leaving and that kind of brings us into the rest of the coach talk that we have here. The Panthers weren't the only team to hire a head coach or a GM or position coaches over the past couple weeks. There's been quite a few and I think the big name, the big one is the Los Angeles Chargers hired Jim Harbaugh to be their head coach. There was always some speculation over the past couple years if he was going to leave Michigan uh, he, he always had unfinished business and everything, but I think this year was a little different. There were multiple suspensions for him with uh, mm-hmm. recruiting sanctions and stuff like that. They obviously get it done in the national championship 15 and zero, And so I think he leaves college football, uh, like, with nothing left to prove, I guess. Um, He did everything he needed to there. And so he's back in California. He was the uh, 49ers head coach. Uh, and we and talked he was about the this Chargers
1: other... quarterback back in, I think, the mm-hmm. 90s, early 2000s? Yeah, we, we talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago where,
0: hey, uh, I, I might be able to stick it to the Niners if I can win here in L.A. And that's exactly what he chose to do. And he's bringing Jesse Mentor with him from Michigan, who was their defensive right coordinator. High. Great, great hire uh, for sure. This was probably the best defensive uh, play caller in all of college, in my opinion. So this was a good uh, guy to bring with him. I don't know if we know their offensive uh, coordinator yet, but we do know a guy uh, that's going to be their general manager. And that was actually the guy you wanted the Panthers to hire.
1: I did. So We talked about Mike McDonald. Uh, He was uh, outside of Ben Johnson, who was most teams and most people's, I think, number one choice going into this offseason. The next guy was Mike McDonald. I wanted to bring kind of what we did, continuity with Dan Morgan and Dave Canales and having similarity coming kind of from the same team in Seattle. I wanted Joe Hortz, uh, who was the director of uh, college scouting for the longest time with the Ravens before I think getting into his current role and during those drafts when he was kind of director of pro uh, like the the college scouting uh according to PFF and this is Arjun Menon with uh them and their data uh he ranked third in terms of uh drafts and that's cool like when a guy is able to get that much talent from the draft and the Ravens are have been known to draft very very well Um, that, that is what I thought would be an excellent pairing here in Carolina. And so it's cool to see that the chargers get him. I think he is a massive upgrade to Tom Tolusco and they're going to build a solid roster there. And you bring in a guy like Jesse mentor. I think I would have liked them to retain a Kellen Moore, uh, keep continuity with that offense and some of those playmakers. Um un, it's unfortunate. We'll see who becomes the next guy. I really hope it's not Greg Roman. Uh there's a lot of speculation that they're going to run the ball a lot in LA, but hopefully with a quarterback like Herbert, um they they find that balance to where they're obviously asking Herbert to throw the ball and win them games that way, uh but they aren't putting it all on his shoulders and they're able to take a little bit off of that.
0: Yeah, with Harbaugh being there, there's always the thought that Roman might follow him there, so We'll have to see as far as that goes, but uh, Atlanta also hired their head coach, uh, Raheem Morris, who I think is an excellent hire. We talked about him uh, experience on both sides of the ball experience in Atlanta, and uh, he brings with him, Zach Robinson from the Rams to be their offensive coordinator. And I don't know much about him, but from what I've seen on Twitter, he was like the number one offensive coordinator, like promotion guy. So that's a big deal for them.
1: Yeah. Um, Raheem Morris, he was their interim when Dan Quinn got fired, what, four or five games into the season. He went four and seven as the interim. Uh, he was the Bucks head coach prior to that. So there is a lot of speculation of whether or not he can get, uh, results at the head coaching position, but the way he's been talked around NFL communities, uh, about, uh, Sean McVay has, has sung his praises and the fact that he brings Zach Robinson with him. Uh, another highly touted guy from the McVay tree to be his OC. I, I think this is a good pairing. I think the big thing is is that they need to find their quarterback, whether that's drafting for a ju- uh, not drafting, trading for a Justin Fields, signing a Kirk Cousins, somebody that's going to bring continuity there. I'd, I'd even love to see him bring in a guy like Jacoby Brissett, uh, trade like a late round pick to get him that least be your backup. I think he plays smart and within the system and can at least get you one year, uh, off the ground while you're kind of getting the franchise going. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see. I obviously don't want to root too hard for the Falcons, but I think this is a good hire for Atlanta. I think this is better than going in the direction of Bill Belichick, who is in his seventies. Um, and, and this isn't, an, This isn't trying to be ageist. It's just I think there is a plateau once you hit that mark as a head coach. I think Andy Reid, he's in his mid-60s. Once he hits 70, he's probably going to retire. And I think that's why there's a big push right now in Kansas City to maximize the talent in the roster they have now uh, and the window they have. Now, another team in the NFC that uh, hired – not a head coach position. Nick Sirianni is still the head coach in Philadelphia. But it seems like they're just bringing all-stars uh, in terms of their coaching staff. Known team to uh, be solid in the analytics side. Uh, Drafting-wise, uh, they have a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. Uh, they bring in Kellen Moore to be their OC. Uh, they bring in the uh, Seattle Seahawks defensive coordinator from last year, Clint Hurt to be their defensive line coach. Uh, They bring in Mike Caldwell, who was the Jaguars linebacker, or not linebacker, defensive coordinator last year, but a previous linebackers coach in Philadelphia during Andy Reid's time to now be the linebackers coach again. And then obviously Vic Fangio as the defensive coordinator. It just seems like they're trying to get all the big names, kind of like what we talked about Frank Reich and David Tepper trying to assemble in North Carolina. I'm I'm excited for this. I yeah I, I if I had to say that there's a a second team I'm a fan of, it's because I have a lot of family in Philly. It's the Eagles, and so to see these hires uh, with the talent they have on both sides of the ball, I'm excited. Like this this definitely seems an upgrade to the Brian Johnson and um, uh, Sean Desai uh, and the Matt Patricia there at the end. I was about to say Matt Patricia, but Sean Desai was kind of the main guy. So um, I, I think those are upgrades uh, at all the key positions right there.
0: Yeah, it's obviously hard to replace both uh, Shane Steichen and Gannon, who left uh, respectively for different head coaching positions. But they tried, and it wasn't necessarily the best this year. So I think they did go out and get some pretty huge names, right? Kellen Moore is a guy that's interviewed for head coaching uh, jobs the past couple of cycles. He uh, was one of the most uh, renowned offensive coordinator jobs last year. Clint Hurt, former defensive or defensive coordinator this past year, yeah, in Seattle? Yep. And then Mike Caldwell, a guy that we both thought was kind of a scapegoat firing, thought he did a decent job down there in uh, Jacksonville as their defensive coordinator, getting those two guys to be position coaches behind Vic Fangio, the, like one of the legendary defensive uh, minds in the history of NFL football. I think they did a really good job on all of these hires, and I think it was clear that they did need to reload at those positions because this is a team that was uh, started off super well. I think they were 10-1 and one to start, right? and then they just faltered down the stretch there when the games got tough i think all these uh more seasoned coaching minds can keep them going strong down that december january stretch into the playoffs where the games are going to be tougher.
1: yeah no when you you have leaders like that in your locker room uh and you have a guy bigger than jalen carter as your d-line coach. (laughs) yeah um, it, it it lends itself to I think there's going to be a lot of respect um in that that coaching room. The players are going to listen. The the coaches know what they're talking about, and they're going to put their players in the best position possible. And I think coming into this year and this draft, if the Eagles are able to boost kind of the linebacking core and the secondary, they're going to be okay on the defensive side, and they still have one of the best offenses in terms of talent. So Kellen Moore still has a lot to work with. Uh, he's known for kind of running a little bit more than he probably should especially on the second and tens. and with a team like the Eagles with Jalen Hurts that offensive line some of the running backs they have in that room I think it's 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 a great pairing now another team in Pennsylvania uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers not too far away from Philadelphia they had an OC opening they uh, re-signed Terrell Austin their defensive coordinator to a two-year deal I think he finished top three in the defensive play caller rankings so uh, definitely a guy that's highly touted uh, highly respected um, but they bring in a guy that just got fired in Atlanta. Are, are you surprised by this hiring? I was. I, was I, I, I chuckled. I laughed a little bit. I'm intrigued to see what's going to happen. But this is this is a hiring that I, I felt like they could have gone a different direction and actually improved uh, on that side of the ball.
0: Um, well, I do think it's an improvement to Matt Canada. But uh, <laughs> Arthur Smith, now, as a Bijan Robinson stan and fantasy owner, um, I hated Arthur Smith's guts last year. <laughs> I thought he was despicable. I thought he was just pure evil, um, and he didn't know. Like it was clear that he wasn't fit to be a head coach. I think um, coming from Tennessee, where he had a good run there uh, as their play caller, and then getting the reins in Atlanta, not improving like at all throughout three seasons. I thought it was pretty clear that he wasn't going to be the head guy. But I didn't like. I thought when he was just a play caller in Tennessee. He did a good job. I mean, he got a, a, what, a top five season out of Ryan Tannehill, if you want to look at EPA. So I don't think necessarily that he's a bad play caller. I just thought that he was in over his head in Atlanta. Now, something that uh, I did see around Twitter today, and I thought it was pretty funny, it's like, George Pickens is going to be guaranteed traded uh, like four games into the season, right? After he only gets like three targets or something. Yeah. Arthur, like he, I think he and Arthur Smith are going to clash, but I would love Pickens here in Carolina. So uh, hopefully he drives his value all the way down so we can trade a seventh for him or something.
1: Yeah, no, I've, I've seen some of the Pickens stuff and it would be great to add him to uh, our roster. I think he'd, he'd make a phenomenal X uh, and, and you'd almost have a, a a rebuild of the twin towers that we try to build with kelvin benjamin devin Funches back in the day uh with him and uh mingo but i think the interesting thing is especially when you're looking at fantasy implications is i think jalen warren is going to be the more uh valued back in that backfield i think Najee harris is getting a little bit older and his smash mouth kind of brand of football doesn't pair well to some of the run concepts that we've seen in Atlanta. I think those have favored a guy like Cordell Patterson. Um, I'm trying to remember the other guy that they had there. Um, Tyler Algier. Algier. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So those, those kind of guys, I feel like Jalen Warren kind of uh, embodies some of what those guys do best, uh, whether it be outside runs, uh, zone reads, uh, those those kind of concepts, and I, I think he fits the bill there. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what fantasy implications look like for the Steelers' offense. They haven't been great under Matt Canada's regime, so I wouldn't hold your breath. These would be late-round guys to take anyway. But moving into a team that the Steelers beat at the end of the year that kind of make the playoffs, uh, the Seattle Seahawks. They still have a, a coach opening. They're one of two teams that still have an opening left, and I think that they're a front-runner. Uh, Mina Kimes was beating her drum for him. Ben Baldwin wasn't. Uh, but Mike McDonald to be kind of the front runner there, the takeover for Pete Carroll. And I think that would be an excellent fit, especially when you have Devin Witherspoon and uh, Reek Woolen on the perimeter. Uh, I think he could wreak havoc uh, with playing lockdown on the outside and then getting the most out of that front seven.
0: Yeah, we've talked about Mike McDonald week after week. Uh, I think he's the best play caller in all of football. Uh, he definitely showed it in this game despite the loss. Um, and I think Mina Kimes is definitely in the right here. She's usually right about football things, um, but <laughs> she's definitely true. in the right here. Uh, ben Baldwin is just being, uh, for lack of a better word, an analytics nerd um, who thinks that every head coach should be a young offensive, offensive play yeah. caller. Um, it's the most important thing in a head coach is that he can lead the entire team. Yep. And Mike McDonald's been able to do that on the defensive side of the ball. Now, granted, they do have some good players there, but like we talked about when they brought him in a couple of years ago, the alignment between the front office and the coaching staff, he's a big reason that they traded for Roquan Smith uh, and extended him subsequently, getting Kyle Hamilton in the first round of the draft, a safety uh, of all positions. Granted, he was a lot of people's number one player. He was my number one player in that class, but to take him in the first round is still a big uh, leap of faith for a safety, and uh, they've been excellent there. They've even been uh, like short on some positions, like uh, corner. They've still been good there. They had like Arthur uh, Mullet out there starting for him this yep. past week. Marlon Humphrey's been banged up, and then on the defensive line, he's gotten guys like Justin Matabuke uh, to be uh, all pro this year, who was excellent yep. this year, and I, I, I just think his, uh, his body of work, even going back to When he was the defensive coordinator at Michigan, getting the most out of Aiden Hutchinson, uh, who was a Heisman finalist, and David Ojabo and the rest of that defense there. I just think that he's uh, just been an excellent play caller on the defensive side of the ball and leader his entire coaching, uh, recent coaching stint. like I can't speak to when he was their linebackers coach a couple years, like five years ago, but I think he's done a phenomenal job. Um, would be a home run hit there following Pete Carroll, who is also another great leader, not necessarily a, like a genius play caller by any means, uh, especially on offense. But um, I think it's a home run hit there. And another guy that they've also uh, actually another two people that have had uh, multiple interviews for them are Dan Quinn and Ajiro Evero. Everett. So mm-hmm. I think that they've uh, not really. uh shunned the offensive side of the ball but they definitely favored some of the better coaching candidates and it's clear that they want the best coach not the best uh play caller
1: yeah there's i for lack of a better word i think because of all this um all these runs on offensive play callers the cupboards are a little bare in that department so i think you have some great premium guys uh, that you can hire. I wouldn't necessarily argue for Dan Quinn, but Evro getting a look, uh, his work in Denver, and then with our banged up defense, uh, been been good jobs. A, a guy that is well-respected around the league deserves kind of that. I think what McDonald does with simulated pressures would absolutely benefit some of the guys on that that defensive line for Seattle, including Moffay. Um, and and they have they have a couple pieces that I think he could transform that unit uh, along with the offensive side that already has a lot of great pieces, and and we'll get more into in the perfect takes. But I think if Seattle were to hire him, this is this is a team that makes the playoffs next year. This is really I think a guy that a guy away from having that defense kind of fixed uh, to to taking that next step and being a contender in the NFC. So that'll be cool to see uh, a team that we thought. Ben Johnson was almost a lock to land, um, was the position opening in Washington. And earlier this day, before we hopped on the pod, he said he wasn't leaving Detroit. And that was actually when the executives from Washington were flying to Detroit for a second interview. Now, they still had an interview lined up with Aaron Glenn, so it wasn't all for naught. But it's one of those things that, who's that guy for Washington? They've interviewed Bobby Sloke and Eric Biennemi twice. Dan Quinn, who we just mentioned for Seattle, he's interviewed there. What what's the direction they go in? And I've also heard connections that they would be interested in as M- McDonald as well. So it could be a bidding war between Seattle and Washington in this case.
0: Yeah, they could uh, they could take the ferry over to Annapolis and grab Mike McDonald if they wanted. Uh, that's uh, that's a very short uh, look or move, I guess, for McDonald if he ends up going there. But yeah, we, we thought this whole time, right, that. Ben Johnson and Adam Peters were the the pairing um, that they had both waited for the right opportunity, and we've alluded multiple times that Washington is probably the better or the best opening out of every team, maybe Seattle, but um, out of all the teams in terms of stuff to work with, uh, we thought Washington was the best opening. You know, number two overall draft pick. T- I think they have the most or second most uh, second, effective yeah, cap, a second most effective cap space. And uh, they just got rid of uh, like Darth Sidious as their previous owner. So there's like, even if you go like 0-17 next year, you already win because it's not uh, Snyder anymore. So this was a good spot to be. I thought at least, I thought uh, this might be the thing that Ben Johnson wanted, but he said he wants to go win a Super Bowl in Detroit. So I guess he's staying there. Um, I don't know because I thought this was an offensive, uh, they wanted an offensive guy, right? Um, yep. obviously Eric Bieniemy's in house and I don't know if they've interviewed Bobby slowick more than once. I, in fact, I don't know if slowick is, uh, keen on leaving, um, Houston now because he obviously has a young star in CJ Stroud, he's a first uh, year play caller and not a lot of first year play callers, uh, get boosted too, too often. So we don't know there. It's just, this to me is the most nebulous coaching, um, position left. Like I, I feel pretty good about Mike McDonald to Seattle being the right fit and him being the front runner. But I don't know here in Washington.
1: Yeah, a lot of question marks. We'll see kind of what circulates the next couple of days for that franchise. It seemed like they they grabbed their all-star GM and Adam Peters ben johnson was lined up to come there and i know you talked about snyder being Darth Sidious. but if i think a comparison needs to be made he, he gives off job of the hut vibes just like <laughs> creepy yeah. icky um but enough of the star wars references i think the big the big thing is here to look for is is you're going to want what we've talked about in head coaching candidates a leader of men um i think if they felt like eric b was that he would have been the guy hired they would have been, waited for ben johnson Uh, I don't know if they go back to the drawing board and they look at a couple other people. I wouldn't look at a retread like Dan Quinn and think that'd be a win for this franchise. So um, we'll we'll see what direction they go, but this one's a question mark.
0: Oh, yeah. And one more thing, uh, like the Senior Bowl is this week. Um, Dan Morgan and Dave Canales are already down there. So the offseason in terms of a scouting and future perspective has already taken place. So while it is a good thing to take your time, right? For coaches, like good coaches that uh, take a while to be knocked out of the playoffs, like Mike McDonald, per se. Um, If you don't have your – now, they do have their general manager in place. But if you're not fully aligned here in the next few days or maybe next week, I think you're a step behind the rest of the teams that have kind of gotten their guys and are pretty locked in uh, so far. Because after the Senior Bowl, then it's uh, the Combine here in uh about three or four three and a half weeks and then from there it's pro days so y- you need to get your staff in line quick so hopefully they do settle
1: on their guy uh here in the next couple of days yeah um i think it's a give and take the colts hired shane steichen after the super bowl and they had i think arguably a really really good draft uh they drafted a lot of high uh, razz guys. But those guys, I think, fell to the right positions. Well, so I think with Adam Peters being in the front office, that's going to fix a lot of things. I understand you want symmetry, not symmetry, but sinistry uh, and chemistry. Synergy, yeah, synergy. Yeah, there we go. Well, I, <laughs> to yeah, uh,
0: to kind of bounce back off that, their uh, their front office was already in place. Chris Ballard was there in uh mm-hmm. indianapolis so like and he had been there for i don't know like what five or six years beforehand so like there wasn't a huge uh loss to them not having a coach in place once the uh the the not probe the mvp not mvp games the uh like the shrine bowl the senior bowl east west Bowl, all those games uh like the exhibition games had started because like their, their staff was largely in place where In Washington, it's kind of new. Everything's like all gelling together right now. I don't know. To me, it's just uh, I would want to have somebody in place. If I knew Ben Johnson wasn't going to be the guy, I think they're going to have a guy in place here before Saturday, uh, so they can get down there and watch the game.
1: Yeah, uh, we'll we'll see what happens. There's still the the week is still very young, and after we got off this podcast. Dave Canales, Jim Harbaugh, some of these other bigger names kind of landed in spots. So we'll see what happens. Uh, Their top candidate, and I understand Adam Schefter came out and reported on the McAfee show like yesterday that he wasn't a lock for the job, Uh, but I felt like he was definitely a front runner. Now, they were interviewing Aaron Glenn, I believe, a second time. So maybe he impresses in Detroit. Um, Maybe they do decide to go back to like a Bobby Slowick and see if he still has interest in the job. Uh, Again, it's one of those things that they they definitely do have to go back to the drawing board because I think their their original idea kind of fell through.
0: Yeah, for sure. And uh, that about wraps up the podcast. We are called Perfect Takes, so we have to throw out a take. And uh, what do you have for us this week?
1: This week, and I kind of alluded to it with the Mike McDonald to Seattle, and it's twofold. So this this one won't necessarily come true until probably next January. Or we won't know the results of it. But I think Mike McDonald does land in Seattle, and he takes that roster, which is full of talent, uh, has their quarterback in Geno Smith. He finds a great offensive play caller to come in and be the coordinator there. And I think the team wins at least 10 games. I think they'll be one of the favorites in the NFC West. I think it'll be them and the Rams. I think the 49ers, and we talked about this last year, I think we expected a little bit more injury proneness uh, with this team. And we we saw how they were when some of their key guys got injured. But uh, from, from a simple roster standpoint, they can't keep everybody together from a cap standpoint. Um, so I, I think it'll be the Rams and the Seahawks vying for the NFC West.
0: Gotcha. So McDonald to Seattle.
1: All and right. And 10 plus wins. I, I think he at least hits, wins. hits the 10 wins. They're comp- competing for the NFC West. I, I'm not going to say that they win the NFC West, but I think them and the Rams are going to be the two teams. All
0: right. So what happens if Dan Quinn goes there? Is the wins thing out of the uh, It's, out, of the it's out the window. It, it has <laughs> to right.
1: be Mike McDonald. So I, and that's where it's like it's a it's a two-part thing. Gotcha. We'll probably know the first in the next week or so. But I, I think if he's there, that this is a, a bona fide wing team. Uh, All right. Head. Um, I'm going to jump the gun
0: a bit because, uh, unfortunately, when it comes to the Super Bowl, we have to wait a week, right? And so we don't have a Super Bowl to watch this weekend, but my take is going to revolve around it. Before the season started, we had a, like a preseason predictions episode where we went through all the team's records. We did all the awards, the draft order, all of that. And we also did the playoff bracket. We and did. I, I went back and looked at it, and I've kind of predicted the entire chiefs playoff run and it's been out of order but i've gotten it like every single one of them right i said that they would beat the bills they did that was in the i said the wild card round i said they would beat the chiefs the next or the uh, ravens excuse me the next week they did i said that they would beat a team in the afc from florida and they did that as well i'm not going to specify what team i said but i said a team <laughs> from Florida. and then in the super bowl i had them over An NFC West West Coast team. Uh, Is that the Rams? Is that the Seahawks? Is that the uh, 49ers? We'll never know. But I'm going with my take that uh, Jacob's playoff bracket is correct. And the Chiefs will defeat the uh, NFC West West Coast team in the playoffs. And next week's take, I'll get into like something more specific, like uh, numbers or something like that. But that's my take. Jacob's playoff bracket is correct.
1: And I want to go off this conspiracy theory a little bit uh, more in terms of like uh, point prediction for the game. Uh, but Oz Perlman uh, was with the New York Jets when I guess they had their Hard Knocks episode. It was it was something where Nicole Hardman was getting interviewed and he wrote on a board. And, and for those of you who don't know Oz Perlman, he's a magician that kind of uh, reads minds. He'll put something on a like a board or a note and then he'll reveal that once the player reveals who they were thinking of or the score they were thinking about. So he asked McColl Hardman, uh, who are you guys playing if you make the Super Bowl? And he said the San Francisco 49ers. Now, he was asking McColl Hardman, who got cut by the Jets and is now currently with the Chiefs. So mm. he was asking McColl Hardman who he'd be with. And I have to give all this credit to Jack Parati. Um, I think he's with Bet R right now or Betts. Uh, he's with one of uh, the the companies there. And so he was revealing this. And the score prediction that McCole Hardman was thinking of was exactly what he wrote on the board. And it was 31-21 in favor of the Jets at the time because that was the team McCole Hardman was on. So if the score in a couple Sundays is 31-21 in, in favor of the Chiefs, Oz Perlman got it right. So I think uh, your prediction was correct at the beginning of the season. This Chiefs team looks like, Uh, one to be reckoned with. The 49ers do definitely look vulnerable, especially playing two, in my opinion, inferior defenses the past two weeks at home. Uh, We'll see if that changes in Las Vegas. The one game that the Chiefs have played in Las Vegas this year, they did win 31-17, which is very close to that score prediction. So we'll see if that holds up. Uh, That about does it for us here at Perfect Takes uh, check us out on Twitter, uh, can find us on Spotify, YouTube, Apple podcasts, wherever you get your, uh, podcast information. Um, and we will be bringing more content to you guys next Tuesday. So until then we will catch you.